0: Welcome to this week's Failed Critic Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Norman. I'm joined by Jerry McCauley.
2: Dominic Beecher, comrades.
0: Yes, and Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, no James Diamond this week for the most part, uh, so we might all be able to get a word in edgeways. <laughs> but he is at the Glasgow Film Festival and hopefully he'll be joining us later to tell us about what he has seen and what he's been doing up there. Last we heard from him, he's on the tube. I don't think there's a tube in Glasgow. I don't know what's happened. So maybe he'll be here. Maybe he won't. Uh, Jerry, last week you weren't here. Can you confirm or deny the rumours that you are Eddie Redmayne? Um, uh, no comment. I think
2: it would be unwise for me to comment on idle speculation in the press at this stage.
0: Yeah, we, we've never seen the both of you in the same place, so. As far as we know, you are one and the same.
2: I've never seen me and Bruce Willis in the same place either, so maybe, maybe I'm Bruce Willis.
0: Maybe I doubt it. Uh, but our main <laughs> review this week, nicely segued in, is Die Hard Five. A good day to Die Hard, um, and probably end up talking about the Die Hard franchise in a in a wider context as well. Uh, no quote quiz or music quiz this week because James is not here and it's not fair to give everyone else an advantage over him. So we're going to go straight into some movie news. The only big thing we could find this week was, it seems Harrison Ford has confirmed that he will play Han Solo once again in Star Wars Episode Seven. title yet to be confirmed. What do we think of that? I'm
2: pretty, I'm pretty happy
0: with that. See, I, I think it's fine because he's because he's either shooting a gun and or in a spaceship. And he and he's pretty cool anyway. It's not like if you had um, Mark Hamill coming back and trying to do all these energetic backflips and a lightsaber duel, it'd look a bit silly. Yeah, he's he's just he's probably going to be like grizzled and cynical and you know quite funny. He's one of those people as well, Harrison Ford. As he's aged, he's still cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't even think, oh, it's a real shame that he's not. Which, which obviously implies we will have a return of the Millennium Falcon and Chewbacca, which which is already. Kind of think, makes me think, yeah, fine, I'm on board with this.
2: Well, wait till they start talking about taxes, Steve. We'll see how on board you are then. Oh, no,
0: I don't, I don't think Mr. Abrams will go down that route. I trust him after he kind of done Star Trek quite well. I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I enjoyed that film. And a lot of people seem to be happy with it who are Star Trek fans. So if he can be trusted with that, then he's probably all right.
3: I have no comment on this. I just genuinely don't think this is news. I don't care, to be honest. Because Owen hates
0: Star Wars, everyone. (laughs) Owen hates Star Wars, and we'll be talking about his seventh favourite movie cop of all time. Later. (laughs) Uh, Right, What have we been watching then this week? Uh, I'll start off. I've watched two... Well, I've watched more than two things, but the two I'm going to talk about are... One is a documentary called The Bridge, and it is about people who commit suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. So as you can imagine, it's extremely depressing.
2: Sounds like a bar of the laughs to me. Yeah,
0: it's, it's definitely not a comedy. <laughs> um, it's extreme, it sort of talks to the families of people who've done it, the people who've kind of watched them do it. Some people have managed to talk people off the bridge out of doing it. Um, you also get a lot of footage of people actually jumping, which is really quite... Odd and disturbing to watch when you're actually.
2: Why are people filming them?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It, it never seems to be on the bridge. It always seems to, and it's always like a good quality camera as well. It seems to be sort of just sort of some camera on a bank, a bit far away that's got some kind of zoom capability, and you just watch them jump. It's sort of three or four times it happens in the in the documentary. Um, I suppose if you're that far away, you can't help them. So what are you gonna do? Might as well film it, put it on YouTube. Popular in that, but it's it's kind of a really good and interesting insight into why people do it. You know, the kind of why people would would commit suicide by doing it there, the kind of history the bridge has with this kind of thing, and sort of talking to the families as well of the people who done it or the friends and kind of how it's affected them. Um, Did it
2: talk about like the stories and why they jumped, kind of? a, a, A
0: couple of them, it did. Yeah, it sort of went into who they were, what was going on in their life, if it was a surprise, you know, it's a shock thing. Sort of one person, they could tell that he was depressed and was having a, a horrible time of, of it and was, you know, not a very happy person, but yet another person was, you know, they found no whatever afterwards and, and it turned out that he was really depressed, but he put up this amazing front where he was really happy-go-lucky and you wouldn't have noticed at all that he was in this way. So it's, it's it's not re- it's not really about people jumping off that bridge it's more about the people who did it why they did it who they were uh, it, it's worth a watch but um don't well it'll depress you
2: is is it on netflix it sounds it, interesting it's on
0: netflix uk I don't think it's on netflix us
2: okay i i might check it out i, I things like that don't
0: welcome to this week's failed critic podcast uh, I'm your host, Steve Moran. I'm joined by Jerry McCauley.
2: Dominic Beecher, comrades.
0: Yes. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, no James Diamond this week for the most part. Uh, so we might all be able to get a word in edgeways. <laughs> <laughs> but he is at the Glasgow Film Festival and hopefully he'll be joining us later to tell us about what he has seen and what he's been doing up there. Last we heard from him, he's on the Tube. I don't think there's a tube in Glasgow, I don't know what's happened, so maybe he'll be here, maybe he won't. Uh, Jerry, last week you weren't here, can you confirm or deny the rumours that you are Eddie Redmayne? Um,
2: No comment, I think it would be unwise for me to comment on idle speculation in the press at this stage.
0: We've never seen the both of you in the same place, so as far as we know, you are one and the same.
2: Uh, I've never seen me and Bruce Willis in the same place either, so maybe maybe I'm Bruce Willis.
0: maybe I doubt it uh but our main <laughs> review this week nicely segued in is die hard five a good day to die hard um and probably end up talking about the Die hard franchise in a in a wider context as well uh no quote quiz or music quiz this week because James is not here and it's not fair to give everyone else an advantage over him. So we're going to go straight into some movie news. The only big thing we could find this week was it seems Harrison Ford has confirmed that he will play Han Solo once again in Star Wars Episode 7, title yet to be confirmed. What do we think of that? I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. See, I, I think it's fine because he's because he's either shooting a gun and or in a spaceship, and he's and he's pretty cool, anyway. It's not like if you had um, Mark Hamill coming back and trying to do all these energetic backflips and a lightsaber duel, it'd look a bit silly. Yeah, he's, he's just—he's probably going to be like grizzled and cynical, and you know, quite funny. He's one of those people as well. Harrison Ford, as he's aged, he, he's still cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't even think, oh, it's a real shame that he's not. Which, which obviously implies we will have a return of the Millennium Falcon and Chewbacca, which, which is already. Kind of makes me think, yeah, fine, I'm on board with this.
2: Well, wait till they start talking about taxes, Steve. We'll see how on board you
0: are then. No, I don't don't think Mr. Abrams will go down that route. I trust him after he kind of done Star Trek quite well. I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I enjoyed that film. And a lot of people seem to be happy with it who are Star Trek fans. So if he can be trusted with that, then he's probably all right.
3: I have no comment on this. I just genuinely don't think this is news. I don't care, to be honest. Because Owen hates
0: Star Wars, everyone. Owen hates Star Wars, and we'll be talking about his seventh favourite movie cop of all time. Later. Uh, Right, What have we been watching then this week? I'll start off. I've watched two... Well, I've watched more than two things, but the two I'm going to talk about are... One is a documentary called The Bridge, and it is about people who commit suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. So as you can imagine, it's extremely depressing.
2: Sounds like a bar of the laughs to me. Yeah,
0: it's definitely not a comedy. <laughs> um, it's extreme, it sort of talks to the families of people who've done it, the people who've kind of watched them do it. Some people have managed to talk people off the bridge out of doing it. Um, you also get a lot of footage of people actually jumping, which is really quite Odd and disturbing to watch when you're actually.
2: Why are people filming them?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It it never seems to be on the bridge. It always seems to, and it's always like a good quality camera as well. It Seems to be sort of just sort of some camera on a bank, a bit far away that's got some kind of zoom capability, and you just watch them jump. It's sort of three or four times it happens in the in the documentary. Um, I suppose if you're that far away, you can't help them. So what are you gonna do? Might as well film it, put it on YouTube. Popular in that. Although it's kind of a really good and interesting insight into why people do it, you know, the kind of why people would, would commit suicide by doing it there, the kind of history the bridge has with this kind of thing, and sort of talking to the families as well of the people who've done it or the friends and kind of how it's affected them. Um, did
2: it talk about like the stories and why they jumped kind of thing? A, you know? a couple of them
0: it did, yeah. It sort of went into who they were, what was going on in their life, if it was a surprise, you know, it's a shock thing. So if one person, they could tell that he was depressed and was having a, a horrible time of of it and was, you know, not a very happy person. But yet another person was, you know, they found note whatever afterwards and and it turned out that he was really depressed, but he put up this amazing front where he was really happy-go-lucky and you wouldn't have noticed at all that he was in this way. So it's 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 not really, It's not really about people jumping off that bridge. It's more about the people who did it, why they did it, who they were. Uh, it, it's worth a watch, but um, don't. Well, it will depress you.
2: Is is it on Netflix? It sounds it, interesting. It's
0: on Netflix UK. I don't think it's on Netflix US.
2: Okay, I, I might check it out. I, I, things like that don't tend to depress me. I just find them interesting.
0: It's definitely interesting, but you know it can be depressing as well. The other film I watched this week was the Oscar-winning *The King's Speech* from a couple of years ago, starring Colin Firth. Not usually my type of film, but Netflix across the board now, whichever region you're watching it from, seems to have put up a, a section of Oscar-winning films. So obviously you've got high-quality stuff through those, and it was one of the first ones I came to. Thought I'd best watch a few more highbrow films. <laughs> expand my horizons, expand my taste a bit in films. I enjoyed it. I didn't really quite see why it was Oscar-worthy, but I enjoyed it. it. It was it was funnier than what I thought it would be. It was certainly more amusing, and the central performances, especially Colin Firth, were excellent. Um, but yeah, I can't quite see why it was highly thought of as what it was.
2: It's, it's one of those I'd be interested to watch it again on you know, on DVD or whatever, because I watched it in the cinema, and I think with hindsight, the atmosphere and you know, you, when something's funny and it's like sort of unexpectedly funny, and other people are laughing with you, it, it, it enhances the effect, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about going to the cinema is you know, catching an atmosphere when when
2: there is a genuine atmosphere, um, and I, I have a feeling that I won't enjoy the King's Speech as much if I watch it again now, you know, sat in my living room with just like one or two other people.
3: Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I didn't see it in the cinema though. I saw it in the um, just sat in the living room with some family, and I had that that reaction to it. I just thought it was just a bit. It was like an expensive BBC drama, really. That's what it kind of felt yeah, like I, to me. So I can so, see uh, what you mean. Y- yeah, I mean the the, the performance is good. I mean, I can't really fault anyone in it. I thought they they all put in a good shift and everything, but. You, it, they, they, they just weren't Oscar-worthy performances to me either, so I'm I'm still a bit of a, a miss as to why it's mm. so highly regarded. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was good, it was enjoyable. I wouldn't be in a hurry to watch it again. It was I I didn't really think it would be as funny as what it was, but I I said I can't really understand why it got all the critical acclaim that it actually did.
2: I I went into it quite cynical because it had got so much critical acclaim, I thought this is going to be one of those films that sort of middle-aged people give a lot of acclaim to and I'm going to find very boring or pretentious or, you know, unrealistic. And it surprised me, you know, it was a pleasant surprise, that film, I think. But, yeah, it's it's difficult to justify that as, you know, the best film of of a year. Mm. It makes it seem like it was a pretty bad year.
1: What, What was
0: it up against, incidentally?
2: And um, was it 2010?
0: Yes, I think so. I
2: am um, trying to think. A um, glorious bastards was that? Was that twenty ten It was
3: the social network, wasn't it? 2010 that was a That was quite highly uh,
0: regarded, hmm. I think. I enjoyed that yeah. more, but maybe it was yeah targeted more at people my age. I don't know. Yeah, I, th-
2: yeah. I think it was 2000. And- 9, I can't, I'm, I've just got the list up here, it's not. It's, it's 2009, my bad. Oh
3: right,
2: okay. 2010 was The Hurt Locker, and we all know what I think about The Hurt
3: Locker. <laughs> yeah, it was okay, I mean if you liked um, King's Speech then I guess that kind of goes some way to explaining why you like *Lame* is as well then, because if it's Tom Hooper's direction that you quite liked in you know? it, you know, they are shots sort of similar even though they're completely different films. Oh no! Screw
2: you, Wikipedia. I thought you were two thousand and ten. You were two thousand and nine. I typed in two thousand and ten Oscar winners on Google, and it gave me two thousand and nine. What's that about? <laughs> what really? What's that about? It was Black Swan. It was up against The Fighter, um, Inception, One Hundred and Twenty Seven Hours, which I thought was absolute shit. Uh, <laughs> the kids are all right. Social Network, Toy Story Three. Steve's not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy about that, are you, Steve?
0: The Toy Story 3 actually get put up for Best Oscar. It did. I can't actually believe they put a a, a cartoon up for it. I mean, obviously I have heard it at the time, but I just forgot about it. It's quite surprising, yet encouraging that they did that.
2: I think um, did Up get nominated for Up got nominated for like best
3: screenplay and things the year before as well, didn't it? And it got nominated for Best Picture, so there, there is a bit of a precedent for it. Mm. Uh, when when, did, when was it they actually expanded the list? Was that two thousand nine? Because they wanted to put more popular films into the um, nominations. Yeah, I'm, list, try, didn't they? I'm trying.
0: Yeah. To, I'm trying to think what year that actually was. Because there was sort of a load of sort of big budget blockbusters, wasn't there? That he kind of expanded it, was after it to the dark fit in. Night. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So the Dark Knight was two
3: thousand eight, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 The Same the was, the, yeah. was the first expansion. Yeah.
0: Right, um, let's move on to somebody else's opinion on films. Uh, Jerry, what have you watched in the last seven, Well, fortnight for you because you haven't been over so long.
2: Oh God, don't don't make me try and think that. Fuck. <laughs> uh, this week, a couple of rewatches for me. Um, quickly cover them. Um, watched House Train Your Dragon, um, which was you know I've talked about it on here before. Really like it. Uh, sort of a surprising one because I expected it to be shit as well. Um, mm-hmm that was really good and watched it with my sort of mom and dad and my younger sister and my younger sister who's like 11 now has been going for like the last year or so. Oh, I'm not watching that. It looks rubbish, blah, 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 blah. And was, you know, was converted. Uh, so even, even cynical kids got converted by it, which is a, a testament to, mm. uh, it's a really good film, really well made. And
3: even looking at it the second time, like visually, it's just a brilliant film and, did you watch the um the little short animation they put on over Christmas on the TV? No, I didn't. I I didn't. I don't really like those. You know, like the Shrek ones. I've never. Yeah, like it was actually quite good. Actually, it sort of fit in quite nicely with the style and everything that the film then captured. So if you if you do sort of change your mind and want to have a look and see if it's on somewhere, it's worth a watch. It was quite short and quite funny. Did Did anybody
2: watch the the Simpsons short that's like a kind of be nominated? today as well. That was on channel four today, that Maggie thing.
3: Oh, was it on T V
2: today?
3: Yeah,
0: it
2: was on Channel Four I heard, it, I heard it was
0: on Sky One but they made out it's like some feature length thing. Or was it Maggie and some trying to escape some daycare thing or something?
2: Yeah, it's like five minutes long.
0: But it's, didn't they do an advert yeah. didn't they do an episode where she was trying to escape a daycare thing? I remember her uh, it had the great escape music and everything. Years ago. Yeah oh. they did. Yeah. Steve you're saying that like you're surprised that the Simpsons writers are being lazy. Oh
2: yeah. yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't catch it today, but um, that was that was on. And I, I mean, I don't think I think the the Disney one before uh, Wreck It Ralph is going to win it, isn't it? Really, the Pain mm-hmm. Man one. That's that's that has to win Best Animated Feature, surely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was five minutes long, and apparently James cried twelve times.
2: And throughout Wreck-It Ralph, just just
0: reflecting on it as well. Yeah, sure he just burst into tears spontaneously
2: for the last <laughs> week. <once> so <laughs> the very thought of it.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, the other film I watched. Speaking of uh, things that are nice to look at, uh, watched The Matrix on Blu-ray again. God knows how many times I've seen that film. Um, if you haven't seen a high-definition conversion of The Matrix, watch it. It's, I mean I it, it's absolutely mind-blowing that film is is over a decade old now. Mm. No I I it makes me feel quite old how old the matrix is. Um but it's just it looks like it's been made this year. It's absolutely stunning to look at. The visuals on it are, are fantastic. The the the, the 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 transfer is brilliant as well. But I, it watching it made me realize actually quite how many scenes in that just feel like absolute classic scenes. You know, if you think back to The Matrix, there's so many scenes where you just think, oh, this is just a, a classic, such a brilliant scene. And they've become, it's its amazing how well integrated they've become into sort of the the cinematic reference library, shall we say, of, of you know, popular culture references. But yeah, The Matrix is still a great film and
3: really, really, really worth watching on Blu-ray. I've, I've kind of found The Matrix had dated a lot when I watched it. I think it was... <laughs> last year or the year before yeah know, I, mean, I think the themes that it's got are still quite um interesting for a viewer but stylistically it kind of looks very 90s i know it was um it feels quite, quite of its time but you, yeah the quality of the of the visuals it's interesting
2: that you think it's dated actually the yeah. only you know, thing that felt dated was like the cell phones and the, the <laughs> computerized some of the computers were looked stone age to be honest. Like, you know, the the, the quality of the, the displays on the computers and things. But yeah. ah, oh,
3: that's why why did you what was it that made it feel so dated for you? Well I guess partly it's it's not a fault of its own, but the, the the fact that the start the um you know techniques it uses have been copied and parodied and reused and just basically influenced lots of other films since then. And they've probably done it a bit better. So what, when you go back and watch The Matrix, it seems very... Um, I don't know, very raw and not like it's actually mastered what it's doing. Maybe it's just me. I, I mean, I still think that the themes of what it what it tries to discuss are the best thing about it. I've always thought that anyway, more than I've actually enjoyed the film. Um, but yeah, what, what, watching it. But I did see it in HD as well. It looks fantastic in HD. Some of the special effects it uses are great. I just think... Yeah, I don't know. Do but, you think it's a victim of its own success, then? Do you think, you know, because it's been
2: copied and used so much, that's why it's dated?
3: Yeah, possibly. I think, was it, um, did you say the same thing once about Evil Dead? Did you sort of think, watching it back now, it seems quite dated because of... I didn't. Um, someone did, I think. And anyway, whoever that was, <laughs> that's that's basically how I feel about Matrix, I think. Just not very, um, doesn't hold up very well, I don't think. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Also, other leather jackets and sunglasses and stuff, they make it look a bit ridiculous. The, um, yeah,
2: some of the, some of the style is definitely sort of the late 90s and yeah.
3: in some kind of techno club in Berlin in the late 90s. <laughs> this is what the future's going to look like, everyone. Everyone's going to walk around in long leather jackets. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah,
2: the, I mean, the, it's still a real heavy-hitting film as well. I mean, I've seen it God knows how many times and it's still... You know the the themes, as you say, are brilliant. We we actually use the Matrix. It comes up quite a lot in uh, philosophy degrees these days. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it's it, that's how influential it's been, which is quite impressive. You know, we talked about it in sort of university modules in a serious way, and people have written books and articles about it's. You know, that as a, a brilliant paradigm and an example of uh, sort of a thought experiment about reality and things like that.
0: Can can we take these kind of university modules seriously? I mean, universities have had modules <laughs> in David Beckham before, Jerry. It's just, you know. Uh,
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's a Russell Group university that I went to. You know.
0: uh, a proper one. Yeah. Not an I'm old a... polytechnic like I went to. Yeah, yeah. none of these shitty polys. Not, the, not in the bottom five <laughs> universities in the country like I went to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what uni was it?
0: Southampton Solent.
3: It's not that bad now, though,
0: is it? No, it's quite. It's quite good now. It's probably quite good by the time I finish. But when I started, not good. I don't think.
3: You can't take the university league table seriously. I say yeah. that as someone who works in a university. <laughs> they just. Yeah, the, the information they use to compile them would sort of make you. Yeah, I, I think, your head
0: in shame. <laughs> I, th- I think the position of ours was probably quite accurate at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair right, uh, Owen. What have you watched this week?
3: Um, uh, I watched a few sort of silent films that I very briefly want to go over a couple of them in in sort of very short detail. Some of them I think we can actually have a conversation about. Before
0: you start, Jerry seems to believe that you have managed to alter the the space-time continuum to allow yourself more time (laughs) in the day to watch films. Is this true? Uh,
3: I wish it was. I really do. He's just
2: got the game away, though. He works in universities. He doesn't work in
0: a university. He works at CERN on some top-secret shit.
3: Maybe <laughs> it's stick a two year break
0: yeah
3: Steve yeah uh, yeah well that could be it I suppose
1: I do like a lot of data
3: entry <laughs> This is plenty of time to just stick something on in the corner of the screen whilst doing it um, but yeah I think I've watched 17 films this week is that a lot yes that's a lot
0: for a week that's over two a yeah. day
3: yeah it's over two a day but well, I watched more than spans. two in a day I think there was a day when I didn't actually watch anything today I only watched one film Actually, Jesus! What yeah. was that? Birth of a Nation was one of the films, and that's the next three hours long. So, watch some long films as well. Anyway, well, I'll kick off with the Birth of a Nation then. Anyone seen it? Mm. D.W. Griffith's film? No. Ew. No. Okay, you might be aware of it already. Anyway, because it's quite a famous film. It's um, more famous, I guess, for <laughs> for being quite a racist film. Should say? It's 1950, and it's a silent film. It's about the um, about the, basically the birth of uh, the American uh, America as we know it. So it starts off pre Civil War, just rolling into the Civil War, and then after the Civil War. So it, it deals a lot with, um, as you might guess, sort of slavery and uh, the sort of Black American people. Um, <clears throat> the about the Club? It's what, sorry? This is it the one about the KKK. It's the one about the KKK. Yeah, see I'm trying to very carefully lead up to it. It's a very hard film to review because ethically and um, morally, it is quite a dubious film, to say the least. The first half of the film isn't particularly offensive. It tries to do a lot it. it tells a story. Of um, sort of romance of these these, these people in a time and how they lived before the Civil War. Okay, there's a very clear turning point in the film after the assassination of Lincoln, where it suddenly goes into this really horrible story about these proud and triumphant KKK. And how they came to be, and how they saved the southern whites from this—they protected them from these invading horrible slaves who were all there just to steal things. And it, it's just really appalling, <laughs> you know. It's, it's horrible. The way it presents itself is a story based on facts rather than having any particular biases. And it's trying to say this is this is just what happened, really. But it 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 isn't. It's not is so much emphasis on these sort of really triumphant and glorious southern white people who all done these cowls and these burn these crosses and save everyone from the horrible black people. It is, yeah, it's abhorrent. I really had a hard time watching it because of these sort of themes. And it's quite a long film, and it's, you know, you've got these things just... Hounded in at you for just so long, it's 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 really a very difficult watch. Probably the hardest film I've watched for a long time. Um, but the trouble is it is actually quite a well-made film. So if you think it's from 1915, the way everything is kind of edited together, the way it's cut, the 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 way it tells a story, is you you can't help but appreciate the, the way it's made. But the content the content of it just really... Um, it was just sickening, I guess, is the only way to describe it. It's the highest grossing silent film of all time. And that just makes me even more horrified, to be honest. Um, yeah, but yeah, D- I mean, D.W. Griffiths is quite a good director, uh, despite this. So the way that he combated the outrage that uh, sort of came about from this film, over 15 years, he went and made a film called uh, Abraham Lincoln, which is a biopic of uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it's more of a a biopic than Spielberg's film is. So Spielberg's film was just set over a a short period of time, wasn't it? It was all about sort of getting the um, amendment through and so, you know, slaves would no longer be slaves. This is more of a kind of episodic biography of his time. It starts off from when he's very young, right through to when he's assassinated. And, it, it, I mean, it, it is created as a, a reply to sort of the outrage, as I mentioned, but it does work quite well as a biopic. It's more of a series of events that are connected by one man's life than any proper story. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's quite nice. Um, but I'm not going to talk too much about it. it it's, uh, they're all on U- um not YouTube, what I mean? Love Film, by the way, all these films I'm talking about. I watched another Lincoln film, which is called The Young Mr. Lincoln, which is by John Ford, um, which is more like the Spielberg Lincoln, as it's just him when he's quite young, dealing with a court case. This is, I mean, this is just when he's like a, law- a lawyer. A lawyer. Uh, vampire hunting. There was no vampire hunting. See, that's the problem. Where's all the vampire hunting? We've been lied to, I think. Uh, <laughs> but perhaps, you know... W. Griffiths was trying to skirt any outrage of offending vampires in Abraham Lincoln after all the offence he caused to millions of black people. Um, but yeah, Young Mr. Lincoln's by John Ford, it's quite interesting and it's more like a courtroom drama, but it could just be anybody. There's no real feeling that you what who you're watching is Abraham Lincoln. It's, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's okay. The best thing about it really is that Henry, Henry Fonda is playing uh, Abraham Lincoln, and he puts in as good a performance as he puts into everything. So that was quite nice. And it's quite interesting seeing him as he was quite young. So you see something like once upon a time in the West, when he's actually towards the end of his career compared to something when he's near the start. Um, it's like watching the same person, which is great because, you know, he's he's a very good actor. Um, but yeah, the final film I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about every film I've seen, but the final film was, um, something called city girl, which is, um, by F.W. Munro, who's probably more famous for doing things like Nosferatu and uh, Sunrise, song of two humans. City Girls the kind of penultimate film he made before he died. So he died quite young. He died when he was 42. And this film was released in 1930. Um, it's another silent film. It's... on. Um, um, Love film as well. What's good about this film is that I think it's one of the best I've seen that incorporates the same track. So stuff like uh, Phantom of the Opera, which is on Love film as well, the music that they use it just does not fit at all. The same track is just completely wrong for that film. Whereas in City Girl, it works really well. What the film's actually about is it's trying to address like a cultural divide that I don't think really exists um, in the modern world in quite the same way. So you've got to kind of get your head around what it's trying to do. It's trying to address sort of sexism and class status and um it's about this young girl who works as a waitress she meets this farmer's son who comes to sell wheat and they end up getting married moving back to the, the farm it, but it tries to address this kind of imbalance of um uh, uh of sort of sex really of sexism so you've got the um <clears throat> it tries to have like a the men are all kind of lecherous in the city. So if you go out to the country, all the countrymen are all gentlemen. So it's trying to say, you know, people in, in the cities, they, they're quite bad. And then it kind of flips it around. So when they're in the, the country, all the men in the country are actually quite sort of lecherous, quite horrible, and quite mean and all this kind of thing. So then it's, it's flipped itself back again. So you, you, you're you then on the side of um, of the woman thinking, well, yeah, the men, all they all are quite horrible. But then she kind of <laughs> becomes this untrustworthy woman who's quite scheming and conniving and it makes you feel sorry for the man. So you think, oh, no, it's all it's all women actually. It's trying to say that all women are actually quite horrible. The men aren't so bad for really. it. So it's, the way it's trying to address this imbalance, it does feel a little bit misogynistic at times. Um, but it's quite interesting to watch, especially from something that's so old because you don't really see those kind of things addressed quite so well in these older films. I don't think it's still, it's worth a watch. Probably the best film that I saw that was um, on the Film this week. And I think I've gone on for quite some time, now, so I'm just going to
0: shut up. Okay, so that's the whole IMDb Top <laughs> 5000 yep. covered. It's live from the Glasgow Film Festival. We are joined by our correspondent for the day, James Diamond.
1: Yeah, very nice. Very nice. James do you, want to,
0: do you want do you want to get the corporate stuff out of the way first
1: yeah i've uh, sold like to say, out. I'm currently um being put up very nicely uh by the fun company i'd be drinking in their bar anyway but i'm currently in their bar in glasgow uh recording from here because they've very kindly offered to sponsor our film festival coverage so drink brew dog it's really nice
0: say <laughs> say that again cuz it cut out the first time you said it <laughs> James? Hello? Say it again because it cut out the first time you said their name.
1: Okay, Brewdog. Brewdog, Brewdog Brewery. And I'm at the Glasgow Brewdog Bar. And uh, it's excellent. Excellent yeah. beer and food.
0: And, and what are they giving you for this?
1: Uh, basically, they're feeding me and drinking. No, not drinking me. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, that'd be- But yeah, they give me food and drink so I can record and speak to uh, a few different bloggers and stuff while I'm up here including the lovely Dave McFarlane from Born Offside.net.
0: Are you with him now? Or, you know, with him this I'm evening?
1: With, um, I'm with another blogger and I'm with my brother-in-law who's putting me up here at um, the moment, so.
0: Okay. Well, if you see Dave, tell him he's a dick from me. Just oh, obviously.
1: Say. He's a sexy dick, though, isn't he? Right, anyway,
0: <laughs> what what have you been doing? and And tell us about it.
1: Yeah, uh, so I've been at the festival. It's the first weekend of the festival this weekend. Um, I've been able to see a few films which uh, I've been really looking forward to. The first one, I've not very long at all got out of Stoker, the new film from Park Chan-wook, who directed Old Boy. Stars um, Mia Vasikowski and uh, Nicole Kidman. And I'm I'm just gonna say very now quickly, I was sadly disappointed by it. i really built this film up into my in my head to be a a fantastic film. From the guy who did Old Boy, it's a good cast, but I noticed that it was written by um Wentworth Miller when it came up. The guy oh, really? yeah. him, somebody, yes. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That came up and I was a little bit oh hang on, that's a bit weird. Uh and he produced it and stuff like that. It's based on it, it, was one of the hottest 50 unmade scripts in hollywood for a couple of years but it's it's all lacking in character there's no character whatsoever performances are a bit meh the only thing that had going for it was the direction and the style so i'm really sad to report that film i've really been looking forward to this year quite disappointing um yesterday i managed to see the look of love the new michael winterbottom and steve coogan collaboration i enjoyed that more to be honest. It stars Steve Coogan as Paul Raymond, the Soho legend who uh, basically invented peep shows in the West End and created the Men Only magazine. The only issue with it, and uh, I use this reservedly, is you watch Steve Coogan and you cannot help but see Alan Partridge. And I don't know if it's his fault or the script's fault, or if it's just the fact that he created Alan Partridge and is so synonymous with Alan Partridge that... Anything Steve Coogan says that sounds a bit partridge-esque, you immediately like he's, jump he's, on it. He's
0: not the only one that suffers from that. I mean, any time you see uh, Ricky Gervais, you think Brent straight away. It's...
1: Yeah, exactly, and and it's and, you, know, you kind of feel a bit snarky and a bit disingenuous to do cre- for creating such a brilliant iconic character, uh, um, and to then basically say that everything they do is that character, and it's I, I always. A band's, a band's first album, you know and it, they put ev- they put their heart and soul into it and he obviously put his heart and soul into Coogan, there was obviously a lot uh, into Partridge, obviously a lot of Steve Coogan in Adam Partridge and so it comes across a little bit, what I will say is that Anna Friel is in it and very good and Imogen Poops and the women in the film do really, really well out of it I was also a very big fan of Chris Addison in this film, Chris Addison play, uh, and you might know Chris Addison from The Thick of It in his stand-up, he plays a very Chris Addison character he looks a bit like a young Dave Lee Travis which is really off-putting uh, but he's probably the pick of the supporting cast in terms of the man so yeah uh, Chris, totally unlike Chris Addison looked like a young Dave Lee Travis um, but was probably the pick of the supporting actors um, I, 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 I liked it it was a good film it was fun um, but it didn't quite have the mayhem and the chaos of twenty-four hour people, 24 hour party people or the brilliance uh, of a cock-and-bull story, the kind of self-referential nature, but definitely very, very good. Um, the other film I'd say go and see this week, and I've just seen a preview of it, and it's showing tonight for London premiere tomorrow, is Cloud Atlas, uh, directed by the Wachowski brothers, uh, the, sorry, Wachowski siblings, yes, um, and Tom Twyka, uh from the unfilmable novel of David Mitchell. I went into it expecting something worse than the Matrix sequels and I think I liked it more than the Matrix and I don't know why I can't explain it, it's bizarre it's it's utterly ambitious as a film so, uh, okay yeah So uh, it's so ambitious, I really want people to see it uh, it's the most expensive independent so <laughs> close please give a little bit to help this great film, uh, I, I really enjoyed it, but I do think some people will hate it and I
3: not working, is it? No. Utterly
1: fucking mental film.
0: There we are. Wonderful. Um, Thanks then, <laughs> James. Hope you're enjoying yourself at the festival. Um, You keep cutting out, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. We'll be back next week for Oscars and stuff. So,
3: I think we got the gist of what he was saying.
0: Yeah, I think more or less we know what he said. <laughs> so, this week we went to watch the latest instalment in now what is the seem the franchise, Die Hard series, Die Hard 5 Uh, A Good Day to Die Hard uh, starring Bruce Willis he's back as John McClane Uh, his son gets arrested in Russia so he goes over there to help him out but then it turns out his son's in the CIA and some shit blows up Um, A Good Day to Die Hard, was it a good day to go to the cinema thoughts, everyone? Mm,
3: Not quite I mean, as someone who does quite like shitty action
0: films, anyway, I kind of found this was not a good shitty action film. This, this, I was, know... this. This was not a good film. In, no, this was not. This was this was a whereas Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free and uh, Live Free or Die Hard was an okay action film, but a below average Die Hard film. This was a a low-average film and a terrible Die Hard film.
2: I, I thought it was a, a sort of fairly mediocre action film. I thought it, what, it, what it what it needed to do and what it was it did alright. Uh, wasn't great, but it was reasonably entertaining.
0: I, I was not entertained at all by it. And <laughs> maybe it's because I was trying to compare it to Die Hard all the way through. But, you know, sue me. It's a Die Hard film. But it was I just... think
3: that's its, its main fault, though, isn't it? Because it, it, it's called Die Hard, but it's yeah. not a Die Hard film in the slightest. No. There's nothing Die Hard about. I, me. I
0: mean, I've, I've been posting my idea around the internet this week and telling anyone who'll listen that the Die Hard <laughs> films get progressively worse. The bigger area the action takes out takes over. Place Die Hard One is the best. It's in a skyscraper. Two is the second best. It's in an airport. Three is the third best. It's in New York. Four is the fourth best it's on the west coast of America, 5th five is the worst, and it's in the Ukraine and Russia.
2: See, I thought this was better than the 4th one, to be honest. Maybe I was just in a better mood today
0: than I was when I watched the 4th one. But I mean, 12 the 12A thing, even though it's annoying before watching the film, it didn't... I wouldn't have noticed it during the film. It's just a bad film.
2: You wouldn't have noticed it until he goes, yippee be
0: Yeah, but the, 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 yeah. Films, the film's obviously allowed one fuck. Because they say fuck quite early on in the film. I think his son, played by somebody who I hope never never seen a film again, just says, what the fuck, dad, or something. So why, if you're allowed one fuck, do you say it then, rather than in the catchphrase for the film?
2: I didn't pick up on, on him saying fuck He, defi-
0: he definitely did. I mean, I'm sure they
3: said it quite late on as well, actually.
0: But, but if, you, if you're only allowed a certain amount of F-bombs in a film, because it's a 12A... <laughs> And you've got a catchphrase in the film that involves that word. Why use it up on other things?
2: What has he done, by the way, your man, Jay, Courtney, whatever? He was in Jack Reacher, wasn't he? Was Jack Re- He was good in Jack Reacher. Was I liked it? him in Jack Reacher. All right, I'll
0: give him another chance and I haven't seen it, but he was, I didn't like him in this. I didn't like anyone in this. The, twi- the twist in the film, <laughs> I won't tell everyone what the twist was, it was, so, it was more obvious than a slap in the face. John, oh, yeah. John McClane doesn't seem like John McClane anymore. Like, he doesn't seem cool. He doesn't seem witty. He doesn't seem hard. He seems resilient. He seems like he can take an absolute pasting. He can fall out of a 30-storey building. It just doesn't seem hard. Like Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, he's had a few too many blows to the head, I think, because yeah. it's just basically a loud, obnoxious version of yeah. himself, isn't
0: he? Yeah, it just, it just didn't feel like a die-hard film at all, and it just seemed like he was phoning the performance in and
3: yeah well it seemed to me was if you imagine in a parallel universe right Bruce Willis he made Die Hard it was a massive success every film he starred in since then has been a, a flop mm. this is a direct to video sequel that he's now starring in that has somehow crept into our universe and we've ended up having this on a big screen it is that kind of bad I think it's just there were some films that you watch, some action films that you can tell were never meant to be on the big screen. They were just sort of cheap knockoff sequels. Yeah. This, for that, it felt like that to me.
2: To give and them, just, a, to give them a due, I thought a lot of the special effects were excellent in this. Thought, and and the, ch- yeah. the chase scene was very well done.
0: Yeah, but it just didn't feel like a die-hard film. I mean. The... It didn't
2: feel like a die-hard film, but it, it felt like a reasonably decent action film that happened to have a weird old John McClane in it.
0: But, uh... which was <laughs>
2: alright for me. It was alright.
0: Yeah. I just couldn't get on board with it. What's In the in the first three films as well, it's it's sort of like that, which is, which is different to the last two. In the first three films, the situations forced upon John McClane. He hasn't gone looking for trouble. He's gone to his wife's Christmas party, and there's terrorists there. He's got to deal with a situation, or he's going to get killed. He's gone to the airport to pick his wife up, and then there's terrorists there. And if he doesn't do something, then they're going to crash her plane. Uh, yeah, but
2: wouldn't it be stretching belief a little bit if he just happens to be wandering into all these serious events? <laughs>
0: yeah, but like no, but but no. Like in, in in the third one, the bad guy actually phones up and gets McLean to do the shit that he does. But in the fourth one, once he's dropped the kid off with the the, the government people. He can just go, right, I've washed my hands of this, I've had enough, I'm going home. And in this one, once he finds out his son's in the CIA, he can probably go, You've probably got this under control, you're in the CIA. I'll leave it now, I'm getting old.
3: Yeah, it's the the bit at the start that really annoyed me. He's just chasing his son around. Yeah. I think, What the fuck are you doing? This is not sort of representative of what a a real life John McClain would be doing. No. I think, if you're going into this film, I went into it with very low expectations.
0: So so did I. <laughs> okay, they could have been lower.
2: You have to pre- be prepared to suspend your disbelief at every turn, because there is some shit. Like they do a four hundred something mile journey, just like what seems like just you know they do like half a night's driving and
0: yeah. mm-hmm.
2: turn up there. The the chase scene is sort of the sort of ludicrous action that is enjoyable and entertaining, but you halfway through you just thinking, well, this would never happen. Not that this could happen. And if this was happening, the whole shit, the shit would just go off. You know, there's no way that this would be allowed to happen or it would be a major international
3: incident. It would. <laughs> um, I mean, it's funny you should talk about the chasing. I think that the way that that was sort of choreographed, I guess, is, if that's the right word for a big action chase scene in cars, was quite well done. There was a kid, there were lots of kids actually in the cinema with me, but there was one who was sat a few rows back. And there's a point where the... Lobby just gets kind of smashed into. If you know the the big, it's carrying like big industrial tube things, and it gets kind of smashed into by the car. Yeah, he was behind me. And he just went whoa, <laughs> really loud in the cinema. That was brilliant. I think that's kind of perhaps maybe I'm being too harsh on it, and it's it's actually pitched at a new younger audience because yeah. you know they cut it down to a twelve a. Maybe they want to get more people on board with the franchise, and they've just kind of washed their hands of people but who.
0: But they're ruining sort of it because.
3: They are ruining it. but you know, maybe that's what they they were attempting to do and, and kind of failed
0: a bit. Die Hard, Die Hard is one of the greatest action films ever, easily. And four and five have just been below par, generic, badly fought out, badly acted, badly scripted versions. Not even versions of Die Hard. There's not even been, other than John McClane, there's not been any kind of you know similarity. Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't feel like a die-hard film. Or even, even 3, Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was like a lethal weapon film that was rewritten to be Die Hard 3, which is why you've got a buddy kind element. Even mm-hmm. that felt like a die-hard film, because John McClain was being kind of sort of cool and quick-witted while being sweary and blowing yeah. stuff up and and punching bad guys in the face. These last two have just been really just sort of... <laughs> You know, make another action film with someone younger that kids will like. Yeah. I
2: think the problem with it as well is it's very generic in terms of there's a ridiculous amount of weaponry and arsenal in this. Whereas previously, you know, it was McLean and his pistol mm. and he occasionally stumble across something that he could use or he'd nick something from a bad guy or he'd improvise. But this, it was kind of like, he just happened to find like massive yeah. assault rifles everywhere. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, this... There was only two moments in the film where I actually thought, this is Die Hard. And there it was it was one where John McClane made some kind of quick-witted comment. I can't remember what it was now. And there was another one where they're in the building, the sort of CIA building in Moscow, and the bad guys kind of break in. His son and some other guy just drop to the deck straight away, and John McClane picks up a gun and just starts shooting everyone that comes near him. I thought, that's Die Hard. And, but other than that, I just thought, this isn't, this isn't right.
2: It was a bit more like Rambo, though, that scene.
0: Yeah, but it was... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But, like, the latest Rambo, where he's just on a jeep, like, shooting three thousand of people for what seems like 20 minutes. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it, I thought, for what it was. It, 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 it was very aware that it was a fairly rubbishy action film. I mean, there was just some absolutely ludicrous bits in it. You know, some of it was just... You were just like, I mean... Action films take the piss a bit, but that was just ridiculous. Some of the stuff, but at the same time, if you basically if you liked sort of all the eighties the shit films that Stallone did, you know all the kind of Van Damme and Arnie like ludicrous action films in the eighties. I think Die Hard is a bit different because it it was a bit more gritty and a bit more well. I hesitate to use the
3: word realistic but you know what i mean I'm it wasn't it wasn't a, it was more it was more highbrow wasn't it it wasn't
0: it wasn't, a, it wasn't silly as silly so. as it
2: wasn't ACAS powers the world's best podcasts
1: here's the show that we recommend
3: Wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: ACast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com
0: It's silly as sort of like Rambo, it's more conceivable that you could be in a you could be a policeman in a tower block where some big yeah. business owns it and some terrorists come in.
2: It was it was more of a, it was more grounded, at least in, in reality. And this feels much more like those ludicrous '80s films with big action stars, where they just use it as an excuse to blow things up and use lots of guns. And if you go in just wanting to see some nice explosions and the odd throwaway line, and the villain in it is, is is reasonably well, one of the villains, should I say, is reasonably decent. He was quite interesting. You liked him, Steve, didn't you?
0: No, I think that was Owen. Although he was, he he wasn't the, the worst. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I did quite like it—the sort of carrot munching dancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very Freudian, though, isn't it? Really,
2: he was—he was an interesting character. I think <laughs> he was quite, quite amusing at times. Yeah, yeah I didn't he
0: was okay. What I don't understand is that one minute you're at Chernobyl with a load of people in hazmat suits, and then there's some big kind of Russian henchman with CCP CP tattooed on his back, wearing no shirt. I mean, and yeah, there some of
2: it is just absolutely ludicrous.
0: There also appears to be. A swimming pool in the middle of Chernobyl as well. So, Steve, have you not played Call of Duty, mate? Yeah. Come on, Chernobyl. <laughs> Chernobyl. Everyone knows about Chernobyl. It's oh. where you go to sit there with snipers and kill people. Mm. There it seems to be a swimming pool Although I,
2: <laughs> oh, th- th- I did quite like that scene. I was talking to. They're, um, they're like a someone... really famous. Sorry, is, is it not just like a really famous picture of Chernobyl that has like those like weird abandoned swimming pool?
3: Yeah, and the sort of playgrounds and stuff. You I don't see, know. Just yeah, yeah. Know. But um, that no, that end scene was good. When you sort of mentioned actually about the special effects, that that last bit is what came to mind. It's a shame they put up the whole thing in the trailer, um, because that would have worked quite nicely as a big finale. But you've seen it all in the trailer.
0: Um, I, the last scene of the film, absolute last thing before the credits rolled up. I'm furious.
2: Yeah, that, that was odd.
0: That was I thought,
2: to be fair, visually and stylistically, I thought it, it was actually quite well well shot. Do you know what I mean? Like the Especially the first the opening bit was quite nice. It didn't just feel like some... You know, the director felt like he knew what he was doing. Let's put it that way. Who,
0: who wrote the script?
2: Uh, no idea. It was... What was his name? Skip something. Guy, he wrote. He wrote the A team anyway. I remember reading that.
0: Yeah, he, don't let him write anymore. Have he's done that and done this, Skip right. Woods.
3: Sorry, there
2: yeah. you. Oh, he wrote. He wrote the A team. What else did he write? Let's have a look. Let's let's get, this so, is, the curtain here, readers. When,
0: so, oh, so, is, so, so skip, skip Woods has ruined the A team for everyone, and <laughs> now he's ruined Die Hard for everyone.
2: He also did, oh, he wrote X Men Origins Wolverine and Hitman. I... And Swordfish. Why is this guy still making films? Oh, that was an awful film, Swordfish. You... Don't worry, though. He's doing Caden Lynch. Oh, God. As if he's not made enough bad video game films with Hitman.
0: Just stop giving this man work. <laughs> I could write a better... I could, I'm going to write a better Die Hard film than him for the next one. And I'm going to prove everyone in Hollywood wrong. All you need is a limited location and... Someone who's related to the first film's bad guy is the bad guy. That's it. That's all you need.
3: Steve, have yeah. you ever seen the film uh, by Richard Donner called Sixteen Blocks? Features an old Bruce Willis. I've,
0: no, I've not seen it, no.
3: That would pro- you'd probably quite like... I like that film. It works quite well if you imagine it's a sequel to... Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. If you imagine this is now John McClane as a really old...
0: So you just miserable. sort of change whatever character he is in that film to John McClane. Yeah, and, just yeah. imagine
3: he's this miserable old character now. He's not been given the recognition he deserves. He's just this miserable old man. <laughs> that that mean, that makes 16 Blocks work quite nicely well, as a Die Hard sequel. More wasn't, than Die Hard 5 does, that wasn't,
0: anyway. di- wasn't Die Hard 5 the only one that has actually been written to be a Die Hard film? Hasn't all? Haven't all the rest been adapted from something else to be a Die Hard film.
2: I know the first one was adapted, wasn't it? Yeah, but the
0: first yeah. one was. The, sec- the third one definitely was. I think the second one was as well. The fourth one, I'm not too sure. But if,
2: fourth one, if the fourth and fifth one, they probably purpose-wrote, and that's why they're so bad.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, so that's, that's Die Hard finished. In, but, in th- terms of
2: comparing them to... Because I haven't seen Expendables 2 or Last Stand yet. Is this considerably the worst of the three? Of you know, in terms of grizzled old action
3: heroes, uh, by far, yeah. yeah. Mm. It makes the first Expendables look good. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right because I quite enjoyed the first
2: thing.
0: Uh, right, um, that's it for Die Hard chat and for this week's podcast. Um, quickly before we go, favorite Die Hard film of all time from from New Owen? Uh, first
2: one, Jerry. Uh, the first one with an honourable mention to the scene where he's walking around with the board on him in Die Hard with a Vengeance, because <laughs> that is my <laughs> yeah. favourite scene of all, of, of all the Die Hard films.
0: Anonymous but- for the first film then. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's, that's it for this week. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for contributing to everyone who has. And thanks to Kevin McLeod from com for the music. Uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing, but we're doing something
2: um i am trying to think um A glorious bastards was
3: that was that 22 was the social network wasn't it 2010 that was out. That was quite highly uh, regarded hmm. i think
0: i enjoyed that yeah. more but maybe it was yeah. targeted more at people my age i don't know yeah.
3: I, th- yeah
2: I think it was 2009 i can't i'm i've just got the list up here it's not it's, it's 2009 my bad Oh, right. Okay. Two thousand and ten was the Hurt Locker, and we all know
3: what I think about the Hurt Locker. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I mean, if you liked the um, King's Speech, then I guess that kind of goes some way to explaining why you like Les Mis as well. Then, because if it's Tom Hooper's direction that you quite liked, in you know? it, you know, they are shots sort of similar, even though they're completely different films. I oh, know. Screw you, Wikipedia. I thought you were two thousand and ten. You
2: were two thousand and nine. I typed it in 2010 Oscar winners on Google and it gave me 2009 What's that about? <laughs> what really? What's that about? It was Black Swan. It was up against The Fighter, um, Inception, 127 Hours, which I thought was absolute shit. Uh, <laughs> the kids are all right. Social Network, Toy Story Three. Steve's not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy about that, are you, Steve?
0: Did Toy Story Three actually get put up for Best Oscar? It did. I can't actually believe they put a a, a cartoon up for it. I mean. Obviously I've heard it at the time but I just forgot about it. It's quite surprising yet encouraging that they did that.
2: I think um did up get nominated for up got nominated for like best screenplay and things the year before as well didn't it. And it got nominated for best picture so there, there is a bit of a precedent for it. Mm. When,
3: when did when was it they actually expanded the list? Was that two thousand nine? Because they wanted to put more popular films into the um, nominations. Yeah, I'm list, trying. Didn't they? I'm, trying
0: yeah. To, I'm trying to think what year that actually was. Because there was sort of a load of sort of big budget blockbusters, wasn't there? That he kind of expanded it, it to the fit Dark in. Night. That was it. Yeah, yeah, so the Dark Knight was two thousand eight. I think wasn't
3: it? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. same was the, yeah. was the first expansion. Yeah.
0: Right, um, let's move on to somebody else's opinion on films. Uh, Jerry, what have you watched in the last seven, well, fortnight for you, because you haven't been with for so long?
2: Oh god, don't don't make me try and think that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, a couple of rewatches for me. Um, quickly cover them. Um, watched House Train Your Dragon, um, which was, you know, I've talked about it on here before, really like it. Uh, sort of a surprising one, because I expected it to be shit as well. Um mm-hmm that was really good and watched it with my sort of mom and dad and my younger sister and my younger sister who's like 11 now has been going for like the last year or so. Oh, I'm not watching that. It looks rubbish, blah, 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 blah. And was, you know, was converted. Uh, so even, even cynical kids got converted by it, which is a, a testament to, mm. it. uh, it's a really good film, really well made. And even looking at it the second time, like visually, it's just a brilliant
3: film and, uh, did you watch the um, the little short animation they put on over Christmas on the TV?
2: No, I didn't. I I didn't.
3: I don't really like those. You know, like the Shrek ones. I've never. Yeah, them. I, it was actually quite good. Actually, it sort of fit in quite nicely with the style and everything that the film captured. So if you if you do sort of change your mind and want to have a look and see if it's on somewhere, it's worth a watch. It was quite short and quite funny. Did Did anybody watch the the Simpsons shot that's like kind of be nominated? Today as
2: well. That was on Channel Four today. That Maggie thing.
3: Oh, was it on TV
2: today? Yeah,
0: it was on Channel Four. But it, I heard it was Channel. on Sky One, but they made out it's like some feature length thing. Or was it Maggie and some trying to escape some daycare thing or something?
2: Yeah, it's like five minutes long.
0: But didn't it's, they do an advert? Yeah. Didn't they do an episode where she was trying to escape a daycare thing? I remember a uh, and had the great escape music and everything years ago. Yeah, oh.
2: they did. Yeah, Steve. You're saying that like you're surprised that the Simpsons writers are being lazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't catch it today, but
0: um, that was that was on. And I, I mean, I don't think I think the the
2: Disney one before uh, Wreck-It Ralph is going to win it, isn't it? Really, the Paint mm-hmm. Man one that's that's that has to win Best Animated Feature, surely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was five minutes long, and apparently James cried twelve times. And throughout Wreck-It Ralph, just, just reflecting on it as well.
2: Yeah. I'm sure he just burst into tears spontaneously for the last <laughs> week. One, so, the very thought of it.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, the other film I watched, speaking of uh, things that are nice to look at, uh, watched The Matrix on Blu-ray again. God knows how many times I've seen that film. Um, if you haven't seen a high-definition conversion of The Matrix, watch it. It's, I mean, it, it's absolutely mind-blowing. That film is, is over a decade old now. You mm. no, I, I, it makes me feel quite old, how old The Matrix is. Um, but it's just, it looks like it's been made this year. It's absolutely stunning to look at. The visuals on it are, are fantastic. The, 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 the transfer is brilliant as well. But I, it, Watching it made me realise actually quite how many scenes in that just feel like absolute classic scenes. You know, if you think back to The Matrix, there's so many scenes where you just think, oh, this is just a, a classic, such a brilliant scene. And they've become, it's its amazing how well integrated they've become into sort of the the cinematic reference library, shall we say, of, of you know, popular culture references. But yeah, The Matrix is still a great film and really, really, really worth watching on Blu-ray. I've, I've kind of
3: found The Matrix had dated a lot when I watched it. I think <laughs> it was... Last year or the year before, yeah. know, I think the themes that it's got are still quite um, interesting for a viewer. But stylistically, it kind of looks very 90s. I know it was. Um, it feels quite, quite of its time, but you, yeah, the quality of the
2: of the visuals. It's interesting that you think it's dated, actually. The yeah. only you know, thing that felt dated was like the cell phones and the, the <laughs> computerized. Some of the computers were looked stone
0: age to be honest. Like, you know, the the, the quality of the, the displays on the computers and things. But yeah.
3: Ah, oh, that's interesting. why why did you what was it that made it feel so dated for you? Well I guess partly it's it's not a fault of its own, but the, the the fact that the start the um you know techniques it uses have been copied and parodied and reused and just basically influenced lots of other films since then. And they've probably done it a bit better. So what, when you go back and watch The Matrix, it seems very—I um, don't know—very raw and not like it's actually mastered what it's doing. Maybe it's just me. I, I mean, I still think that the themes of what it what it tries to discuss are the best thing about it. I've always thought that, anyway, more than I've actually enjoyed the film. Um, but yeah, what, what, watching it back, I did see it in HD as well. It looks fantastic in HD. Some of the special effects it uses are great. I just think. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think it's a victim of its own success, then? Do you think, you
2: know, because it's been copied and used so much, that's why it's dated?
3: Yeah, possibly. I think, was it, um, did you say the same thing once about Evil Dead? Did you sort of think, watching it back now, it seems quite dated because of... I didn't. Um, Someone did, I think. And anyway, whoever that was, (laughs) that's that's basically how I feel about Matrix, I think. Just not very, um, doesn't hold up very well, I don't think. Ah, interesting. Interesting. also other leather jackets and sunglasses and stuff, they make it look a bit ridiculous. The,
2: um, yeah, some of the, some of the style is definitely sort of the late
3: 90s and yeah. in some kind of techno club in Berlin in the late 90s. <laughs> this is what the future's going to look like, everyone. Everyone's going to walk around in long leather jackets. Yeah, I
2: don't think so. Yeah, the, I mean, the, it's still a real heavy-hitting film as well. I mean, I've seen it God knows how many times and it's still... You know the the themes, as you say, are brilliant. We we actually use the Matrix. It comes up quite a lot in uh, philosophy degrees these days, mm. believe it or not. It's it, that's how influential it's been, which is quite impressive. You know, we talked about it in sort of university modules in a serious way, and people have written books and articles about it's. You know, that as a, a brilliant paradigm and an example of uh, sort of a thought experiment about reality and things like that.
0: Can can we take these kind of university modules seriously? I mean, universities have had modules in David Beckham before, Jerry. It's just, you know, uh,
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's a Russell Group university that I went to. You know.
0: uh, a proper one?
2: Yeah. Not an old a,
0: polytechnic like I went to. Yeah, yeah. none of these shitty not in, the, not in the bottom five universities in the country like I went to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what uni was it?
0: Southampton Solent.
2: It's not that bad now, though,
0: is it? No, it's quite it's quite good now. It's probably quite good by the time I finish. But when I started, not good, I don't think.
3: You can't take the university league table seriously. I say yeah. that as someone who works in a the university. <laughs> they just... Yeah, the, the information they use to compile them would sort of make you... Yeah, I, I think, your head in shame.
0: <laughs> I think the position of ours was probably quite accurate at the time. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Uh, Owen, what have you watched this week?
3: Um, I I watched a few sort of silent films that I very briefly want to go over a couple of them in in sort of very short detail some of them I think we can actually have a conversation about Before
0: you start Jerry seems to believe that you have managed to alter the the space-time continuum to allow yourself more time (laughs) in the day to watch films is this true? Uh,
3: I wish it was
2: I really do He's just Uh, got the game away though he works in universities He doesn't work
0: in a university he works at CERN on some top secret shit
3: Maybe it's taking a two year break.
0: Yeah. Steve.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that could be it, I suppose. I do like a lot of data entry. <laughs> this is plenty of time to just stick something on in the corner of the screen whilst doing it. Um, but yeah, I think I've watched 17 films this week. Is that a lot? Yes. That's a lot
0: for a week. That's over two a yeah. day.
3: Yeah, it's over two a day. Maths, well, I watched more than two bands. in a day. I think there was a day when I didn't actually watch anything. Today I've only watched one film. Actually, Jesus!
0: What yeah. was that? Birth
3: of a Nation was one of the films, and that's about three hours long. So we've watched some long films as well. Anyway, well, I'll kick off with the Birth of a Nation then. Anyone seen it? Mm. D.W. Griffith's film? No. Ew. No. Okay, you might be aware of it already. Anyway, because it's quite a famous film. It's um, more famous, I guess, for <laughs> for being quite a racist film. Should we say? 1950, and it's a silent film. It's about the um, about the, basically the birth of uh, the American uh, America as we know it. So it starts off pre Civil War, just rolling into the Civil War, and then after the Civil War. So it, it deals a lot with, um, as you might guess, sort of slavery and uh, the sort of black American people. What um, <clears throat> about the Club? It's what? Sorry, is it the one about the KKK? It's the one about the KKK. Yeah. See, I'm trying to very carefully lead up to it. It's a very hard film to review because ethically and um, morally, it is quite a dubious film to say the least. The first half of the film isn't particularly offensive. It tries to do a lot about. It tells a story. Of um, sort of romance of these these, these people in a time and how they lived before the Civil War. Okay, there's a very clear turning point in the film after the assassination of Lincoln, where it suddenly goes into this really horrible story about these proud and triumphant KKK and how they came to be, and how they saved the southern whites from this... They protected them from these invading, horrible slaves who were all there just to steal things, and it, it's just really <laughs> appalling. <laughs> you know, it's, it's horrible. The way it presents itself is a story based on facts rather than having any particular biases. And it's trying to say this is this is just what happened, really. But it—it isn't. it isn't. It's, there is so much emphasis on these sort of really triumphant and glorious southern white people who all done these cowls and these burn these crosses and save everyone from the horrible black people. It is, yeah, it's boring. I really had a hard time watching it because of the, these sort of themes. And it's quite a long film, and it's, you know, you've got these things just... Hounded in, actually, for just so long, it's, it's, it's really a very difficult watch. Probably the hardest film I've watched for a long time. Um, but the trouble is, it is actually quite a well-made film. So if you think it's from 1915, the way everything is kind of edited together, the way it's cut, the, the, the way it tells a story is, you, you can't help but appreciate the, the way it's made. But, the content the content of it just really... Um, it was just sickening, I guess, is the only way to describe it. It's the highest grossing silent film of all time. And that just makes me even more horrified, to be honest. Um, yeah, but yeah, D, I mean, D.W. Griffiths is quite a good director, uh, despite this. So the way that he combated the outrage that uh, sort of came about from this film, over 15 years, he went and made a film called uh, Abraham Lincoln, which is a biopic of uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it's more of a a biopic than Spielberg's film is. So Spielberg's film was just set over a a short period of time, wasn't it? It was all about sort of getting the um, amendment through and so, you know, slaves would no longer be slaves. This is more of a kind of episodic biography of his time. It starts off from when he's very young, right through to when he's assassinated. And, it, it, I mean, it, it is created as a, a reply to sort of the outrage, as I mentioned, but it does work quite well as a biopic. It's more of a series of events that are connected by one man's life than any proper story. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's quite nice. Um, but I'm not going to talk too much about it. it it's, uh, they're all on YouTube, um, not YouTube, but I mean? Love film, by the way, all these films I'm talking about. I watched another Lincoln film, which is called *The Young Mister Lincoln*, which is by John Ford, um, which is more like the Spielberg Lincoln, as it's just him when he's quite young dealing with a court case. This is—I mean, this is just when he's like a, lo- a lawyer. A so, young the, uh, vampire hunting guy. There was no vampire hunting. See, that's the problem. Where's all the vampire hunting? We've been lied to, I think. Uh, <laughs> but perhaps you know. D. W. Griffiths was trying to skirt any outrage of offending vampires in Abraham Lincoln after all the offence he caused to millions of black people. Um, but yeah, young Mr. Lincoln's boy John Ford, it's quite interesting and it's more like a courtroom drama, but it could just be anybody. There's no real feeling that you what who you're watching is Abraham Lincoln. It's um <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's okay. The best thing about it really is that Henry Henry Fonda is playing. Uh, Abraham Lincoln and he puts in as good a performance as he puts into everything so that was quite nice and it's quite interesting seeing him as he was quite young so you see something like Once Upon a Time in the West when he's actually towards the end of his career compared to something when he's near the start um, it's like watching the same person which is great because you know, he's, he's a very good actor um, but yeah the final film I'm going to talk about I'm not going to talk about every film I've seen but the final film was um, something called City Girl which is um by F.W. Munro, who's probably more famous for doing things like Nosferatu and uh, Sunrise, a song of two humans. City Girls is the kind of penultimate film he made before he died. So he died quite young. He died when he was 42. And this film was released in 1930. Um, it's another silent film. It's on... Um, um love film as well. What's good about this film is I think it's one of the best I've seen that incorporates the soundtrack. So stuff like uh, Phantom of the Opera which is on Love Film as well. The music that they use just does not fit at all. The soundtrack is just completely wrong for that film. Whereas in City Girl it works really well. What the films actually about is it's trying to address like a cultural divide that I don't think really exists um, in the modern world in quite the same way. So you've got to kind of get your head around what it's trying to do. It's trying to address sort of sexism and class status and um it's about this young girl who works as a waitress she meets this farmer's son who comes to sell wheat and they end up getting married moving back to the, the farm it but it tries to address this kind of imbalance of um uh, uh of sort of sex really of sexism so you've got the um <clears throat> it tries to have like a the men are all kind of lecherous in the city. So if you go out to the country, all the countrymen are all gentlemen. So it's trying to say, you know, people in, in the cities, they, they're quite bad. And then it kind of flips it around. So when they're in the, the country, or the, the men in the country are actually quite sort of lecherous, quite horrible, quite mean, and all this kind of thing. So then it's it's flipped itself back again. So you, you, you're you then on the side of um of the woman thinking, well, yeah, the men, all they all... Are quite horrible. But then she kind of <laughs> becomes this untrustworthy woman who's quite scheming and conniving, and he makes you feel sorry for the man. So you think, oh no, it's all, it's all women actually. It's trying to say that all women are actually quite horrible. Men aren't so bad really. So it's the way it's trying to address this imbalance, it does feel a little bit misogynistic at times. Um, but it's quite interesting to watch, especially from something that's so old, because you don't really see those kind of things addressed quite so well in these older films, I don't think. It's still, it's worth a watch. Probably the best film I saw that was um, on the film this week. And I think I've gone on for quite some time, eh, so I'm just
0: going to shut up. Okay, so that's the whole IMDb Top 5000 <laughs> yep. covered. It's live from the Glasgow Film Festival. We are joined by our correspondent for the day, James Diamond.
1: Yeah, very nice. Very nice.
0: James, do you, want British to, do, you want, do you want to get the corporate stuff out of the way first?
1: Yeah, i have uh, sold like to say, out. I'm currently um, being put up very nicely uh, by the Fang Dog Company. I'd be drinking in their bar anyway, but I'm currently in their bar in Glasgow, uh, recording from here, because they've very kindly offered to sponsor our film festival coverage. So, drink Brew Dog, it's really nice. Say, <laughs> say that
0: again, because it cut out the second, first time you said second.
1: it. <laughs> James? Hello?
0: Say it again because it cut out the first time you said their name.
1: Okay, Brewdog. Brewdog, Brewdog Brewery. And I'm at the Glasgow Brewdog Bar. And yeah. it's excellent. Excellent yeah. beer and food.
0: And, and what are they giving you for this?
1: Uh, basically, they're feeding me and drinking. No, not drinking me. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, that'd be... But yeah, they give me food and drink so I can record and speak to uh, a few different bloggers and stuff while I'm up here. Including the lovely Dave McFarland from Born Offside.
0: Are you with him now, or you know, with him this I'm evening?
1: I'm with um, I'm with another blogger, and I'm with my brother-in-law who's putting me up here at um, the moment. So
0: okay. Well, if you see Dave? Tell him he's a dick for me. Just oh, obviously,
1: him. he's a sexy dick, though, isn't he? Right, anyway,
0: <laughs> what what have you been doing, and and tell us about it.
1: Yeah, uh, so I've been at the festival. It's the first weekend of the festival this weekend. Um, I've been able to see a few films which uh, I've been really looking forward to. The first one, I've not very long at all got out of Stoker, the new film from Park Chan-wook, who directed Old Boy. Stars um, Mia Vosikowski and uh, Nicole Kidman. And I'm I'm just gonna say very now quickly I was sadly disappointed by it. i really built this film up into my in my head to be a a fantastic film. I'm the guy who did Old Boy, it's a good cast, but I noticed that it was written by um Wentworth Miller when it came up. The guy who did some break yes. <laughs> so <laughs> weird. That came up and I was a little bit oh hang on, that's a bit weird. Uh and he produced it and stuff like that. It's based on it. it was one of the hottest 50 unmade scripts in hollywood for a couple of years but it's it's all lacking in character there's no character whatsoever performances are a bit meh the only thing that had going for it was the direction and the style so i'm really sad to report that film i've really been looking forward to this year quite disappointing um yesterday i managed to see the look of love the new michael winterbottom and steve coogan collaboration i enjoyed that more to be honest. It stars Steve Coogan as Paul Raymond, the Soho legend who uh, basically invented peep shows in the West End and created the Men Only magazine. The only issue with it, and uh, I use this reservedly, is you watch Steve Coogan and you cannot help but see Alan Partridge. And I don't know if it's his fault or the script's fault, or if it's just the fact that he created Alan Partridge and is so synonymous with Alan Partridge that... Anything Steve Coogan says that sounds a bit partridge-esque, you immediately like he's, jump on he's it. He's
0: not the only one that suffers from that. I mean, any time you see uh, Ricky Gervais, you think Brent straight away. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And and it's and, you kind of feel a bit snarky and a bit disingenuous to for creating such a brilliant iconic character uh, um, and to then basically say that everything they do is that character. And it's I, I always. A band's, a band's first album, you know, and it, they put they put their heart and soul into it and he obviously put his heart and soul into Coogan and there was obviously a lot uh, into Partridge, obviously a lot of Steve Coogan and Ian Adam Partridge and so it comes across a little bit. What I will say is that Anna Friel is in it and very good and Imogen Poops and the women in the film do really, really well out of it. I was also a very big fan of Chris Addison in this film. Chris Addison play, uh, and you might know Chris Addison from The Thick of It in his stand-up, he plays a very... Chris Addison character he looks a bit like a young Dave Lee Travis which is really off-putting uh, but he's probably the pick of the supporting cast in terms of the man so yeah uh, totally unlike Chris Addison looked like a young Dave Lee Travis um, but was probably the pick of the supporting actors um, I, 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 I liked it it was a good film it was fun um, but it didn't quite have the mayhem and the chaos of twenty-four hour people, 24 hour party people or the brilliance uh, of a cock-and-bull story, the kind of self-referential nature, but definitely very, very good. Um, the other film I'd say go and see this week, and I've just seen a preview of it, and it's showing tonight for London premiere tomorrow, is Cloud Atlas, uh, directed by the Wachowski brothers, well, the, sorry, Wachowski siblings, yes, um, and Tom Twyka, uh from the unfilmable novel of David Mitchell. I went into it expecting something worse, than the Matrix sequels and I think I liked it more than The Matrix and I don't know why I can't explain it, it's bizarre it's it's utterly ambitious as a film so, uh, okay yeah So uh, it's so ambitious, I really want people to see it uh, it's the most expensive independent so <laughs> close please give a little bit to help this great film, uh, I, I really enjoyed it, but I do think some people will hate it and I
3: not working, is it? No.
0: Utterly
1: fucking mental film.
0: There we are. Wonderful. Um, thanks then, <laughs> James. Hope you're enjoying yourself at the festival. Um, you keep cutting out, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. We'll be back next week for Oscars and stuff. So,
3: I think we got the gist of what he was saying.
0: Yeah, I think more or less we know what he said. <laughs> so, this week we went to watch the latest instalment in now what is the a the franchise. Die Hard series, Die Hard 5 Uh, A Good Day to Die Hard Uh, starring Bruce Willis he's back as John McClane Uh, his son gets arrested in Russia so he goes over there to help him out but then it turns out his son's in the CIA and some shit blows up Um, A Good Day to Die Hard, was it a good day to go to the cinema? Thoughts, everyone?
3: Mm, Not quite I mean, as someone who does quite like shitty action films, anyway, I kind of found this was not a good shitty action film.
0: This, this, I was, know... this this was not a good film. It, no, this was not. This was this was a whereas Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free and Live Free or Die Hard was an okay action film, but a below average Die Hard film. This was a below-average film, and a terrible Die Hard film.
2: I, I thought it was a, a sort of fairly mediocre action film. I thought it, what, what it what it needed to do and what it was it did alright. It uh, wasn't great, but it was reasonably entertaining.
0: I, I was not entertained at all by it. <laughs> and maybe it's because I was trying to compare it to Die Hard all the way through. But, you know, sue me. It's a Die Hard film. But it was I just...
3: think that's its, its main fault, though, isn't it? Because it, it, it's called Die Hard, but it's yeah. not a Die Hard film in the slightest. No. There's nothing
0: Die Hard about I it. I mean, I've, I've been posting my idea around the internet this week and telling anyone who'll listen that the Die Hard <laughs> films get progressively worse the bigger area the action takes, out, takes over place. Die Hard 1 is the best, it's in a skyscraper. 2 is the second best, it's in an airport. 3 is the third best, it's in New York. 4 is the fourth best it's on the west coast of America, 5th 5 is the worst, and it's in the Ukraine and Russia.
2: See, I thought this was better than the 4th one, to be honest. Maybe I was just
0: in a better mood today than I was when I watched the 4th one. But, I mean, 12 it, the 12A thing, even though it's annoying before watching the film, it didn't... I wouldn't have noticed it during the film. It's just a bad film. You
2: wouldn't have noticed it until he goes, "You be Yeah, but the, the,
0: yeah. the film's the films obviously allowed one fuck. Because they say fuck quite early on in the film. I think his son, played by somebody who I hope never seen a film again, just says, what the fuck, dad, or something. So why, if you're allowed one fuck, do you say it then, rather than in the catchphrase for the film?
2: I didn't pick up
3: on, on him saying
2: fuck He, defi-
0: on. he definitely did. I'm sure him... they
3: said it quite late on as well, actually.
0: But, but if, you, if you're only allowed a certain amount of F-bombs, in a film, because it's a twelve A, and you've got a catchphrase in the film that involves that word. Why use it up on other things?
2: What has he done, by the way, your man Jay Courtney or whatever? He was in Jack Reacher, wasn't he? Was Jack Re- he was good in Jack Reacher. Was I liked he- him in Jack Reacher. Alright, I'll
0: give him another chance and I haven't seen it, but he was I didn't like him in there. I didn't like anyone in this. The twi- the twist in the film <laughs> I won't tell everyone what the twist was, it was so it was more obvious than a slap in the face. John well, yeah. John McClane doesn't seem like John McClane anymore. He doesn't seem cool. He doesn't seem witty. He doesn't seem hard. He seems resilient. He seems like he can take an absolute pasting. He can fall out of a 30-storey building. It just doesn't seem hard. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, he's had a few too many blows to the head, I think, because it's just basically a load obnoxious version of himself, isn't
0: he? Yeah. It just didn't feel like a die-hard film at all, and it just seemed like he was phoning the performance in and
3: yeah. Well, it seemed to me, was, if you imagine in a parallel universe, right, Bruce Willis, he made Die Hard. It was a massive success. Every film he starred in since then has been a, a flop. Mm. This is a direct-to-video sequel that he's now starring in, that has somehow crept into our universe, and we've ended up having this on a big screen. It is that kind of bad, I think. It's just... There were some films that you watch, some action films, that you can tell were never meant to be on the big screen. They were mm. just sort of cheap, knock-off sequels. Yeah. This, for that, It felt like that to me. To give,
2: like, them just, a, to give them a due, I thought a lot of the special effects were excellent in this. But, and and the, ch- yeah. the chase scene was very well done.
0: Yeah, but it just didn't feel like a die-hard film. I mean... If it the,
2: didn't feel like a die-hard film, but it, it felt like a reasonably decent action film that happened to have a weird old John McClane in it.
0: But, uh, which <laughs> was alright for
2: me. <laughs> it was alright.
0: Yeah. I just couldn't get on board of it. whatsoever. in the in the first three films as well? It's it's sort of like that, which is, which is different to the last two. In the first three films, the situations forced upon John McClane. He hasn't gone looking for trouble. He's gone to his wife's Christmas party, and there's terrorists there. He's got to deal with a situation, or he's going to get killed. He's gone to the airport to pick his wife up, and then there's terrorists there. And if he doesn't do something, then they're going to crash her plane. Um, yeah, but would
2: it be stretching belief a little bit if he just happens to be wandering into all these serious events? <laughs>
0: yeah, but and no, but but no. Like, and in, in in the third one, the bad guy actually phones up and gets McLean to do the shit that he does. But in the fourth one, once he's dropped the kid off with the the, the government people. He can just go, right, I've washed my hands of this, I've had enough, I'm going home. And in this one, once he finds out his son's in the CIA, he can probably go, you've probably got this under control, you're in the CIA. I'll leave it now. I'm getting old.
3: Yeah, it's the the bit at the start that really annoyed me. He's just chasing his son around. Yeah. I think, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) This is not sort of representative of what a a, a real life John McClain would be doing. No. I think, if you're going into this film, I went into it with very low expectations.
2: So so
0: did I I. (laughs) (laughs) They could have been lower.
2: You have to pre- be prepared to suspend your disbelief at every turn, because there is some shit. Like they do a four hundred something mile journey, just like what seems like just you know they do like half a night's driving and yeah. turn up there. The the chase scene is sort of the sort of ludicrous action that is enjoyable and entertaining, but you halfway through you just thinking, well, this would never happen. Not that this could happen. And if this was happening, the whole shit, the shit would just go off. You know, there's no way that this would be allowed to happen or it would be a major international incident.
3: It would. <laughs> um, I mean, it's funny you should talk about the chasing. I think that the way that that was sort of choreographed, I guess, is, if that's the right word for a big action chase scene in cars, was quite well done. There was a kid, there were lots of kids actually in the cinema with me, but there was one who was sat a few rows back. And there's a point where the... Lobby just gets kind of smashed into. If you know, the, the big, it's carrying like big industrial tube things and it gets kind of smashed into by the car. Yeah. He was behind me and he just went, whoa, <laughs> really loud in the cinema. That was brilliant. I think that's kind of, perhaps, maybe I'm being too harsh on it and it's it's actually pitched a new younger audience because, yeah. you know, they've cut it down to a 12A. Maybe they want to get more people on board with the franchise and they've just kind of washed their hands of people.
0: But they're, they're ruining sort of it would. because...
3: They are ruining it now. But, you know, maybe that's what they, they were attempting to do and,
2: and kind
0: of failed a bit. Die Hard is one of the greatest action films ever, easily. And Four and Five have just been below par, generic, badly thought out, badly acted, badly scripted versions. Not even versions of Die Hard. There's not even been. Other than John McClane, there's not been any kind of, you know, similarity. Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't feel like a Die Hard film, or even, even 3, Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was like a lethal weapon film that was rewritten to be Die Hard 3, which is why you've got a buddy kind of element. Even mm-hmm. that felt like a Die Hard film, because John McClane was being kind of sort of cool and quick-witted while being sweary and blowing yeah. stuff up and, and punching bad guys in the face. These last two have just been really just sort of... <laughs> You know, make another action film with someone younger that kids will like. I think
2: the problem with it as well is it's very generic in terms of there's a ridiculous amount of weaponry and arsenal in this. Whereas previously, you know, it was McLean and his pistol Mm. and he'd occasionally stumble across something that he could use or he'd nick something from a bad guy or he'd improvise. But this, it was kind of like, he just happened to find like massive assault rifles everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this... There was only two moments in the film where I actually thought, this is Die Hard. And there was it was one where John McClane made some kind of quick-witted comment. I can't remember what it was now. And there was another one where they're in the building, the sort of CIA building in Moscow, and the bad guys kind of break in. His son and some other guy just drop to the deck straight away, and John McClane picks up a gun and just starts shooting everyone that comes near him. I thought, that's Die Hard. And, but other than that, I just thought, this isn't, this isn't right.
2: It was a bit more like Rambo, though, that scene.
0: Yeah, but it was... Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: But like the latest Rambo, where he's just on a Jeep, like, shooting three (laughs) thousand people for what seems like 20 minutes. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I I, I enjoyed it. For what it was, it, 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 it was very aware that it was a fairly rubbishy action film. I mean, there was just some absolutely ludicrous bits in it. You know, some of it was just... You were just like, I mean action films take the piss a bit but that was just ridiculous some of the stuff but at the same time if you basically if you liked sort of all the 80s the shit films that Stallone did you know all the kind of Van Damme and Arnie like ludicrous action films in the 80s I think Die Hard is a bit different because it was a bit more gritty and a bit more well I hesitate to use the word realistic, but you know what I mean. And it wasn't.
0: It wasn't. A, it was more. It was
2: more
3: highbrow, wasn't it? It wasn't.
2: It wasn't, was
0: a, it wasn't was silly as silly of... as. It wasn't as silly as sort of like Rambo. It was more conceivable that you could be in a. You could be a policeman in a tower block where some big yeah. business owns it, and some terrorists come in.
2: It was. It was more of a. It was more grounded, at least in in reality. And this feels much more like those ludicrous eighties films. With big action stars, where they just use it as an excuse to blow things up and use lots of guns. And if you go in just wanting to see some nice explosions and the odd throwaway line, and the villain in it is 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 reasonably well, one of the villains, should I say, is reasonably decent. He was quite interesting. You liked him, Steve, didn't you?
0: No, I think that was Owen. Although he was he he wasn't the, the worst. villain. Yeah,
3: yeah, I did quite like it. The sort of carrot munching dancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very Freudian, though, isn't it?
2: Really. He was—he was an interesting character. I think he was quite quite amusing at times.
0: Yeah, yeah I okay. Understand. What I don't understand is, at one minute you're at Chernobyl with a load of people in hazmat suits, and then there's some big kind of Russian henchman with CCP tattered on his back, wearing no shirt. I mean, and yeah, there
2: some of it is just absolutely ludicrous.
0: There also appears to be a swimming pool in the middle of Chernobyl as well. So,
2: Steve, are you not played Call of
0: Duty, mate? Yeah come on, Chernobyl, <laughs> Chernobyl, everyone knows about Chernobyl, it's uh, where you go to sit there with snipers and kill people. There seems to be a swimming pool there, I just thought...
2: Although I did quite like that, In I was talking to... They're, um, they're like the somewhat... really famous... Sorry, is, is it not just like a really famous picture of Chernobyl, it has like those like weird abandoned swimming pool.
3: Yeah, and the sort of playgrounds and stuff. I do Yeah. I yeah. Don't know. But um, that no, that end scene was good. When you sort of mentioned actually about the special effects, that that last bit is what came to mind. It's a shame they put up the whole thing in the trailer, um, because that would have worked quite nicely as a big finale. But you've seen it all in the trailer.
0: Um, oh, the last scene of the film, absolute last thing before the credits rolled up. I'm furious.
2: Yeah, that that was odd.
0: That was I thought,
2: to be fair visually and stylistically i thought it it was actually quite well well shot do you know what i mean like the especially the first the opening bit was quite nice it didn't just feel like some you know the director felt like he knew what he was doing let's put it that way Who,
0: who wrote the script
2: uh no idea it was what was his name skip something Guy he wrote he wrote the A Team anyway, I remember reading that.
0: Yeah, he don't let him write anymore. Have he's done that and done this? Skip right. Woods.
3: Sorry. Hey, oh,
2: yeah. He wrote he wrote the A Team. What else did he write? Let's have a look. Let's let's get, uh, this so, is touching the curtain here, readers. So, Ooh, so,
0: so S- Skip Woods has ruined the A Team for everyone and now he's ruined <laughs> Die Hard for everyone.
2: He also did oh he wrote X Men Origins, Wolverine and Hitman. I... And Swordfish. Why is this guy still making films? Oh, that was an awful film, Swordfish. You... Don't worry though, he's doing Caden Lynch. Oh god. As if he's not made enough bad video game films with Hitman.
0: Just stop giving this man work. <laughs> I could write a better, I could, I'm going to write a better Die Hard film than him for the next one and I'm going to prove everyone in Hollywood wrong. All you need is a limited location and Someone who's related to the first film's bad guy is the bad guy. That's it. That's all you need. Steve, yeah. have you
3: ever seen the film uh, by Richard Donner called Sixteen Blocks? Features an old Bruce Willis. I've,
0: no, no, I've not seen it. No.
3: That would you probably quite like. I like that film. It works quite well if you imagine it's a sequel to. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. If you imagine this is now John McClane as a really old... So you just sort of
0: change whatever character he is in that film to John McClane. Yeah, and, just yeah.
3: imagine he's this miserable old character now. He's not been given the recognition he deserves. He's just this miserable old man. <laughs> that that mean, that makes 16 Blocks work quite nicely well, as a Die Hard sequel.
0: More than Die Hard 5 does wasn't, anyway. di- wasn't Die Hard 5 the only one that has actually been written to be a Die Hard film? Hasn't all, haven't all the rest been adapted from something else to be a Die Hard film.
2: I know the first one was adapted, wasn't it?
0: But yeah, the first yeah. one was, the sec- The third one definitely was, I think the second one was as well, the fourth one I'm not too sure. But if,
2: fourth one, if The fourth and fifth one they probably purpose-wrote, and that's why they're so bad.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, so that's, that's Die Hard finished. In that, terms
2: of comparing them to, because I haven't seen Expendables 2 or Last Stand yet. Is this considerably the worst of the three? Of you know, in terms of grizzled old action heroes, Uh,
3: by far, yeah. Mm. It makes the first Expendables look good. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's all right because I quite enjoyed the first Uh, (laughs)
2: thing.
0: Right, um, that's it for Die Hard chat and for this week's podcast. Um, Quickly before we go, favorite Die Hard film of all time from from New Owen? The
3: first one,
0: Jerry.
2: Uh, the first one with an honourable mention to the scene where he's walking around with the board on him in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Because that is my favourite <laughs> yeah. scene of all, of, of all the Die Hard films. Anonymous
0: but- for the first film then. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's, that's it for this week. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for contributing to everyone who has. And thanks to Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music. Uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing, but we're doing something.